Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, and tonight we have the end of an era. The X-Men franchise is closing its doors at Fox, the characters are going to Marvel, so it started in 2000, has ended in 2019, I forget how many films there's been, I think 12, 13 if you count uh, the one that's never getting released, New Mutants, and uh, (laughs) I think it's safe to say this one kind of went out with a whimper. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. If you have yet to see Apocalypse, this is your spoiler warning. Get out now. Welcome back, Hops and Box Office Flops. As you just heard, we are covering the end of the X-Men franchise with X-Men Dark Phoenix. I am your host, The Thunderous Wizard. You can find me at WriterTLK on Twitter, and I'm along with... Captain Cash. You can find me on most of your social medias at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H. So, uh, Dark Phoenix, uh, as I kind of noted to in the intro, not the best ending to what I think has been a relatively solid series of films. So last week when we talked about 13th Warrior and I was really excited to talk about it because I really actually love that movie a lot. And, you know, I had all these positive feelings going into it and it's something that I was excited to maybe introduce people to. Uh, this movie is the opposite of that. Fuck this movie. Don't go see this movie. It hurt. I want those two hours of my life back. There's a reason that this movie is a flop and should remain so. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if you haven't seen this in theaters, your chances to do so are dwindling rapidly. (laughs) Uh, I read today that it is losing 44% of its theaters in only its third week. Uh, This movie had the steepest drop for any comic book movie ever in its second weekend at just under 72%. And that's, you know, like... For example, Batman vs. Superman dropped 68%. High drop, but it also made $160-plus million. This movie made $32 million its opening weekend. Oof. Its second weekend, it made Oof. nine. Now, as Captain Cash will tell you, uh, I think we had pretty similar theater experiences. I was one of six people, and I had two other people with me. I was literally the only person in my movie theater. Now, to be fair... I did go see it in Westbrook, Maine on a random Monday, so that was probably contributory. Now, before we get into why we think this kind of unfolded the way it did, and I think there's a number of reasons, let's give you a general plot. All right, now this comes from Fox. This X-Men Dark Phoenix is the story of one of the X-Men's most beloved characters, Jean Grey, as she evolves into the iconic Dark Phoenix. Now, I wouldn't quite say it's an evolution, almost a... She almost de-evolves, in a way. Um, Mm. She has a bad experience in space, and then it's done. During a life-threatening rescue mission in space, Jean is hit by a cosmic force that transforms her into the most powerful mutants of all. Wrestling with this increasingly unstable power, as well as her own personal demons, Jean spirals out of control. Blah, blah, blah. I'll leave it at that. Now, how would you describe this film in one sentence? The last stand, but worse. I think that's fair because I also agree it is worse. Now, I know a lot of people 
really dislike The Last Stand. But, I mean, that movie... I wouldn't say it's great, but it was also markedly better reviewed than this movie. It also made a lot yeah. more money. Uh, <laughs> Last Stand was just overstuffed. It suffered the same fate every threequel that came out from like 2005 to 2009 suffered from. They thought it was the last one, so they just tried to stuff as yep. much stuff yeah. in as they possibly could. And it just didn't, you know, it, it was just a mess of a movie for that. It's the old uh, Spider-Man 3 thing. Yeah. You know, like, oh, well, here we go. This is the end. Let's put everything in here. Yeah, let's get Venom and Sandman and uh, who else? We got uh, the Oh, we got to finish up that Goblin storyline and uh, and maybe MJ's kind of annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. But I anyway. Mean, so it's just one of those things like, you know, kids, before the MCU came into existence, there wasn't nearly as much nuance and care uh, put into. No. This was like, all right, you're getting three movies. And then it all of a sudden it builds and the end's like, well, we didn't really build all this stuff, but what the hell? Let's just throw it in. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Continuity prior to the MCU wasn't really a thing. And it's never really been a thing with the X-Men movies. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess we're going to do a plot breakdown here. Oh, oh yeah. it's going to so, hurt. So, uh, before we do, my one-sentence description. Oh, the, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the X-Men help astronauts, and Jean Grey eats a supernova, which leads to angst and aggression and pointless interactions with monotone alien. I feel like that's a run-on, but I will allow it. I, there was just a lot to cover. Uh, but none of this oh. movie really uh, resonated with me at all. I... I just kind of left, and I was like, oh, that's it. Uh, goodbye. Farewell. It was nice to know you. You should have ended with Days of Future Past. Uh, I mean, have you ever have you ever been in an experience where the other person just wasn't into it? Yeah, they're doing it, and it's fine, but they're just kind of there. That's what this movie is. Absolutely every single person in this movie is like looking at their watch going, are we, can I stop doing this now? It's, it's just so bad. So here's what I'm curious about with that, because it is very, uh, you, you look at the actors and they, they're not necessarily bored, but they're definitely like, they're phoning it in. Uh, it's almost like they know that their fate is sealed. We're not getting the second movie anymore. Let's just get this over with. Yeah, you know, let's cash the checks and let's be on our way. Because from what I understand, the actors all agreed to to join this what would have been a two-parter because they like Simon Kinberg, who directed and wrote this movie. He also, he's he'd been producing the movies since First Class. He wrote Days of Future Past and wrote Apocalypse. Well, he was one of the writers on those. Um, mm. And they came back because when Brian Singer went AWOL during Apocalypse, which apparently was a habit of his, just disappearing from movie sets. Um, that dude's a scumbag. Yeah. Anyway. Kinberg would have to step in, and so all the actors grew to like him. So, you know, mm. you've got all the principal players back. Now, uh, I think part of the problem is Apocalypse was not a good movie. And so the no. younger cast of characters were not interesting, at least to me. I didn't mm. care about this Scott Summers. I cared as much about this Scott Summers as I did about the one in X-Men Origins. Just had no connection to this guy. I didn't care about Jean Grey. I stopped caring about Mystique when she stopped caring about trying. That was three fucking movies ago. Yeah, so, you know, I love Fassbender, and I think he does admirably with 
admirably with sort of lackluster material. McAvoy's fine, but they kind of ruin his character, and all the plot points that develop around him don't make sense, but we'll kind of get to that. Uh, yeah. Holt, I think, probably gave it the most, but it was like, you know, he's like, hey, everything's fine. You know, he's like the, the, the gif of the dog sitting in the house on fire. Yeah, exactly. This is fine. Everything's fine. And he, they gave him just the worst makeup. I mean, Beast was in The Last Stand in 2006. That 13-year-old makeup looked a hundred times better than whatever they stuck poor Nicholas Holt in. Like, it just... It, it just wasn't ever believable. It was terrible. Now, I'm curious. I don't... I, I know the ending was reshot, like, almost entirely. Mm. You know, I know that scrolls were supposed to be in the movie, and this was all leading to, you know, some big fight at the UN, and then Jean takes out the scrolls, and then she flies off into space, and then, boom, you set up the sequel, whatever. This ending's vastly yeah. different. The resolution we get is, is really hollow, because, I mean, leaving the theater, you know that this was the last movie, and I actually think... You know, I don't know what was said in the deal, or we have to get rid of scrolls because of whatever. But I don't know why they yeah. did because this movie was supposed to come out before uh, Captain Marvel, months before. In fact, even when it was delayed the first time, it still would have came out before Captain Marvel. So I don't know if that was part of the language in the acquisition. But it mm. really, you know, the aliens we get here have no personality whatsoever. They look like giant yeah. walking. Uh, Mr. Hanky, the Christmas Oop. poos. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just this, like so bizarre. Yeah, it's, we. So let's let's see if we can go back to just breaking down the plot for you because it's it's not easy and it not a lot of it makes sense. But we talked about how in the opening, you know, the X Men are beloved. Professor Xavier's literally got a phone line directly to the president. It's got an X on the phone. It struck me as very on the nose. Uh, well, uh, I thought it was very uh, Batman. It was know, wasn't it red too? Bat phone. Was it red? No, I, okay. I think it was black, but I don't remember. But you know, it's it's a big change. Mutants are well liked. The X Men are celebrities, and they get a call that, hey, they're astronauts in trouble, so they're going to go to space. Um, and this is where they start to pepper in the idea that you know maybe Professor X isn't doing what's really best for the kids that are under his tutelage. And this is delivered by Jennifer Lawrence, which it just, on the one hand, yeah. But on the other hand, it doesn't make any sense because all the kids that are X-Men are at least in their twenties. They're all, so it's, by this yeah, timeline, they're, they're like 45. Yeah. They're adults choosing to be there. And, you know, through the X-Men's heroics, mutants went from, a race of hunted people to celebrities. So it's kind of like, you're not wrong, but you're not right either. So I took a lot of it. This was one of my big issues. Cause this, the plot here is wildly inconsistent with what we've seen before. Uh, yeah. One, it's a real betrayal of professor X to turn him into some sort of fame whore who is obsessed with like getting medals. Um, yeah. You know, but yeah, she goes into his office. She gives this like really passionless sort of dressing down about how yeah. the team should be the ex-women because all the women are saving people. 
even though in the scene Oof. we just watched, Nightcrawler saves everyone. Uh, yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. Which I don't uh, care. You know, we, like, we skipped over. They went to space. They saved the astronauts. Yeah, and but, but Jean Grey, and she's like, you know, to, things are worse now. And it's like, wait a minute. In the seventies, Richard Nixon was gonna basically commit mutant genocide. How <laughs> yeah. is this worse than that? Yeah. See, I don't mind that they shade Professor X with a little bit of gray. Like some of the some of the more interesting stories I think in X Men are where you know Professor X actually sent another team before he sent the new all new all different X Men, and then just mind wiped everybody to not remember the fact that he got a team of people killed. I I don't I don't have a huge problem with that. I just the way that they choose to to color him gray and the dressing down they give him is a little, it's not dark enough, I guess is my issue. Well, it just wasn't set up well. Yeah. You know, because we, obviously he had some troubles in days of future past, right? Like he becomes, uh, sort of a junkie in a way because he doesn't want to hear the people. He doesn't want to help people anymore. But the whole yeah. point of Days of Future Bass was that it reset this timeline and everything was better. And then, of course, we get Apocalypse, and the less said about that thing, the better. But he's still a force of good throughout that movie. Oh, sure. So for them to be in this position where now they're called upon to help humanity and there's this sort of kinsmanship between man and mutant, things are not worse. And also him hiding... The fact that, you know, Jean Grey's dad didn't want her. Oh, by the way, I'll preface, you know, I'll have to go back and say spoilers because we're ruining the movie, but nobody's seeing it anyways. Um, yeah. It's like, maybe she's not ready for that sort of information, and he understands that, and there's a time and a place for it. You know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, it's not good. So we have that, then we get treated... To the Debari people, who are the the aliens that are introduced, which they're, they're like giant uh, slim jims. <laughs> you know what you really needed to, to win this fight was Randy Savage. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. You snap into it, it's he'd over. Have, yeah, he'd have taken care of those aliens, no trouble. But you know, the X Men are famous for having like weird space opera things and. They introduce aliens like it's an afterthought. The aliens don't do anything alien, alien or interesting other than they can shift and have vaguely defined telekinetic powers. And it's uh, they show up, they murder some lady, and then take the form of Jessica Chastain. They took her personality too, because that was nowhere to be found. She's a good actress. She was awful in this movie. I think she's going to win the Razzie. Like, like 100%. It's one of those things where I, I feel like, what was her direction? Uh, you don't feel emotions. Yeah. Stand there. Yep. Stand there, stare blankly, don't. and say r- really corny things. Oh, the dialogue in this movie is so bad. Nobody talks like they talk. Now, th- uh. there's, there's good actors all over the place in this movie doing some of the worst work of their careers. Ty Sheridan is phenomenally bad in this movie. Uh, to be fair, I've yet to see Ty Sheridan do much of anything in this in any movie. Uh, he was good in Mud. 
I don't think he was particularly see great that. in uh, the movie about Ready. pop culture. Ready Player One. Ugh. Yeah, pop culture or I hated extravaganza. that book, but that movie actually didn't do too bad. I actually enjoyed the movie much more than the book. All right. Yep. Yeah. It's, how often does that happen? Not very, but that's because the book is so overly uh, exposition heavy that yeah. it's almost like it's such a relief that they pump the brakes on some of that stuff because none of the exposition uh, is interesting. We're, we're getting off topic, but yeah, let me just say, Ready Player One was, remember this, the movie, or the, the book. Ready yeah. Player One was, remember this thing, the book. Ugh. So Gene eats the supernova. The aliens need yeah. her to basically save their race. I guess they knew she was coming. I don't really know how. They drew the thing to her. That's about all I want to say about the movie. Yeah. Well, uh, so what were my thoughts? I, I don't understand how 20 years later, the the uh, blackbird coming out of the basketball court looks even faker. Like, it looks so much worse. I'm like, this is really bad CGI. You did this 20 years ago in the first X-Men movie. And it looked more believable then. Yep. Now, this movie's not without some merits, I would say. Uh, I think some of the Nightcrawler stuff... We're getting stuff to the one merit cool. in the plot. There's one merit in this movie. We got Dazzler. <laughs> They're having a party. There's a brief cameo of Dazzler. It's spectacular. Now, here's one of my issues, right? Movie set in 1992. She's singing a song from present day. That oh, is annoys she? the hell out of me. It, uh, it, it well, takes I, I mean, you I, right out of the time period you're supposed to be in. Like, just imagine, like, I just watched Captain Marvel, right? Wasn't the biggest fan. But if Captain Marvel shows up and they're playing a song from 2015, it it, it defeats the purpose doing of... doing Shake It Off. Yeah, it defeats the purpose of setting the movie in 1995. Completely. Uh, never has there been a period movie that did less with the period than this movie like it's it's set in 92 which for x-men fans that's the year of x-men number one where they broke out into the gold and the blue teams and you had the five different cover covers issue number one and like it's it's when most people think of the x-men or at least most people our age think of x-men so you know mid to late 30s that's the x-men x-men 92 and it's they just this could have been set literally any time. Yep. You could have told me, yeah, this is, uh, you know, last week. The only difference is, uh, the only thing I'd be like, well, where, where's everybody's cell phones? That's yep. it. Yeah. So it's just like Apocalypse. Like Apocalypse is set in the 80s. So much cool stuff you could do with the 80s. Does nothing. Yeah. Now, at least yeah. Days of Future Past, there's a real 70s vibe and aesthetic to it. Same thing with oh, yeah. and First Class, right? Like, first Class, yeah. It feels like the 60s. It uses things from the 60s in the plot of the movie, you know? Yep. And uses history in just a really awesome way and interweaves, like, the X-Men into this huge, pivotal point in American history. And then the last two films, it's just, that stuff's absent. You just move the plot forward 10 years. None of the characters age visibly in the slightest. And that takes you out of it, too. Why is Michael Fassbender... Yeah. Still so friggin' handsome. Well, to be fair, even when Michael Fassbender is actually 60 to 70, he's still probably going to look like that. But it's just like, they don't look old at all. You couldn't give them some yeah. makeup? They put, they, I mean, they put yeah. Chris Evans, they made Chris Evans look like Joe Biden. You couldn't throw some makeup <laughs> on these guys? 
uh, how hard would it be? Like, we're, Michael Fassbender, we're just going to dye your hair gray. Yeah. Like, he'd be the spraying kind, Michael. Just, we're going to do it quick. Listen, this stuff uh. is, the, the technology for that has come a long way. I, just, you know, to reference Captain Marvel again, right? Nick Fury is supposed to be much younger. Still ran like a 70-year-old man. but <laughs> He looked great, though. I mean, he looked great. I mean, it looked like he needed hip surgery, but face <laughs> held up really nicely. <laughs> Let's not be mean to Sam Jackson. He's got a lot going on. All right, so I want to hear your theory on exactly what went wrong, because obviously Gene goes off the handle. Yeah, we should finish up the plot. Gene goes off the handle. She kills Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, best part of the movie. Which, yeah, which makes Beast angry. She, Why, I don't know. Yeah, she injures Quicksilver, which is important, because if she hadn't, they'd have just used his powers, and he's basically one step below god in this series so uh so at what point in the re shooting of this film is like guys i got better shit to do <laughs> i feel like everybody got to that point where they're like uh all right we're just gonna how many more takes i'm gonna give you one i'm gonna give you one and we're here we go because <sighs> the killing but... of mystique felt awful tacked on and hollow uh, well, the worst part is they spoiled it by the fucking trailers. It was just like you're gonna Mystique since first class has kind of been one of the linchpin characters, and they just like J Law is done with this. I, I guarantee you, J Law only was like, "Look, I'll show up, but one, I need to die. Two, I I need to not be in the makeup most of the time." Hey, at least when Harrison Ford said it, you got to kill me at the end of The Force Awakens, he hung around for a while. <laughs> he, you know, he did press, he seemed involved, he actually seemed to try. Yeah, he didn't even ask to be killed me. off after they broke his leg on set. He, he toughed it out. <laughs> she just, she's like oh, so man. Uh, over it visibly. I just, I don't get, why is Magneto mad that she's dead? He tried to kill her. Oh, well, that's the other thing. So, Jean flies to Magneto looking for guidance. I guess Magneto has Genosha, which Genosha is another one of those those places in the comics where it's one of those hot button, oh, we're in Genosha, isn't that great? Kind of things. Uh, And he, he says... This isn't my life anymore. I, I don't seek vengeance. I tried that. It didn't work for me. I'm not going to do it. And Gene flies away, only to have Hank later show up and tell Magneto, hey, uh, by the way, Gene killed Mystique. And Magneto's immediate reaction is, well, we should get some vengeance. Yeah, we should kill her. It's, yeah, it's like, wait, wait a minute. Didn't you just, you just told gene that that wasn't what you were about anymore uh, okay i think uh that's been a underlying theme for this series like the post original trilogy is it's always one step forward for some characters in terms of development and two steps back like magneto always seems yeah. like he's going to stop being an asshole and then immediately he's like you know what it's way more fun to be an asshole like i've <laughs> learned nothing i i always left He's always got at least one or two family members that you can kill to really motivate him. Yeah, there's always someone. Like, yeah. His, oh. his kids that existed for the, all, the sole purpose of getting him to become one of Apocalypse's minions. 
Yeah. Oh, oh it's so bad. Okay, uh, then I guess they have the Dabari. Starts talking to Gene. Gene is semi-listening. There's a fight somewhere in New York between Beast Magneto. Who is the... Was he called Red Lotus, the guy with the magic dreadlocks? I didn't even know he had a name. He was like Sindel from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> he had some really yeah, deadly like hair. Yeah, telekinetic chick. Uh, it's so bad. Versus didn't know Cyclops, her name either. Professor X, and Nightcrawler. Yeah, I, I looked it up, but now I forgot it. And it's just the, the, the end result of that entire fight is Jean Grey curb stomps everybody but despite the fact she's super evil and is crushing Magneto's head within the helmet uh, just opts to not kill him and I'm like uh, um, by the way didn't Magneto uh, die in that uh, scene he was impaled by three rather large nope. pieces of metal and five seconds later he's fine it, it, I, it only looked like they just struck him they didn't impale him and it's like uh, and then, then they all get captured, but I don't remember how. Well, the government shows up. Here's another, here's another sticking point for me. So I have a list of things that irked me. The government. Now, in the 70s, they mm. understood that if Magneto was running around doing Magneto things, you should carry around plastic weapons. Nope. They just show up to his yeah. camp, all metal shit, not prepared at all. <laughs> it's like, did they not like, uh. read... Or, like, go back and watch what they did and try to make these things, like, stay cohesive. Because if you're using rubber bullets and, and plastic stuff in the 70s, you're going to keep that stuff in case you have to go confront this guy. Otherwise, you're dead where you stand. Uh, I just remember that that's at one point when the military shows up in Genosha looking for Jean Grey. Jean Grey goes all Dark Phoenix and tries to kill the the team of whatever they are seals they sent after them and then you have the Michael Fassbender and Sophie Turner just doing a pose off where they're like launching their hands out into the air and just making a strained faces as yeah. they was pushing or pulling the helicopter and it just looked ridiculous that was by far his best constipated face of the four films yeah, he's very famous for the, like, oh, I'm about to shit my pants. I'm not going to let it happen. <laughs> uh, he does it in every movie. There's a line between rage and love and shitting your pants. Yeah. And, man, sometimes Michael Fassbender just tips over slightly. And then there's the big train fight, which had oh, some cool and then elements to it. I, I like yeah. some of it. Uh, but by that point, I was like, just get this thing That's over the with. Thing. I was over it. Yeah, well, it's like they don't use any of the powers in a really, really interesting novel way. Like they they get close with Nightcrawler doing the teleport spam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's nothing we haven't already seen. Like as soon as he starts teleporting and stabbing people, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I saw X two too. It was great. Yep. Here's and, my here's my big issue. Uh, right. Here's another thing that irked me. The the Dabari are essentially just the T one thousand. Like, they can morph, and they eat bullets, and you can start seeing what's beneath the the facade, and then they just grow it back. But 
Yeah. If if Magneto is shooting someone in the face with hundreds upon hundreds of rounds, I hate to break this to you, but that's more powerful than Nightcrawler's tail, which he kills people like at will with, but he's unloading on people with these guns and they're just like eating bullets. But then they get stabbed yep. with knives and die. Like it can't be you can't have it both ways. Like they can't be super powerful against some things and not against others. <laughs> It just made no sense. Uh, they can't. They can be, but you, know, you have to give an explanation. Like, oh yeah, well, you know, they're they're vulnerable to being stabbed in a particular place. But I just that obviously did not occur. And it. Uh, you don't get any uh, backstory, uh, on that, which is fine, I guess. But like, really, the whole thing is, our planet's been destroyed, and now we need to rebuild. They essentially have like the General Zod thing, like. Like we're gonna yeah, make if our. If we get the Phoenix Force, we can. Yeah, we can rebuild, Dabaritopia here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then ultimately, Jean Grey goes full Phoenix, kills all the Dabari, transcends to a higher plane, and this movie is mercifully fucking over. Yep. Ugh. So, oh, uh, in your assessment, this movie, just what, what went wrong? How could this tank so hard? We know it was delayed multiple times. That's not good. Obviously, the Disney merger, pretty much like if you're a fan of the MCU and you're a casual fan of Fox, like why are you going to see this movie when you're going to get the X-Men in the MCU where inevitably they'll probably be the best versions we've gotten of them? It'd be hard to top that Jackman, man. I'm curious oh, yeah. to see him try, though. They're not going to top Jackman. They best not try. Just leave him. Leave him. Don't bring him back. Yeah. To be fair, this is the one X-Men movie that did not have Wolverine. At all, yeah. This movie had no Wolverine, and it suffered for it. (laughs) Uh, So when we get to, because we're going to do what story, what lines we'd like to see um, from the comics, basically done by Marvel. So I I don't want to ruin that yet. But in my estimation, the writing was on the wall. This should have ended with Days of Future Past. It had such a neat and tidy ending. Everything was back to the way it was when we loved these characters the most, which was basically the end of X2, right? He walks in, Jane's there, Scott's there. It was a high point, and it was a perfect ending. That was the most successful X-Men movie, if you don't count Deadpool. $747 Mm. worldwide. So it was the highest-grossing X-Men movie. And then Apocalypse comes out. Doesn't get well-reviewed, but aside from that, gross $200 million less. The appetite for this series was gone. So to keep milking the cow, you, you just weren't going to get anything. And I, and I think the one thing about Apocalypse that screamed that they had no more ideas left was when they did the friggin' Weapon X thing for the third time. Oh, yeah. And it's like, we've seen this. I don't need to see this again. You can change the helmet. You can make it look more like the comic and the cartoon. We've seen it. I don't need to see this anymore. This is such a useless... It was a useless um, excursion in the movie. It never made any sense for them to even do it. And it and it was so forced. It's like, why are we going over this stuff again? And then you know, of course, in that movie, it's heading for Dark Phoenix... Of course, none of what they yeah. build in Apocalypse comes over to this movie. Because in Apocalypse, she's like lighting walls on fire and she has the power yeah. within her. That's nowhere to be seen. 
I just think people are over it. And you can you, you tell that by Apocalypse. They don't want it anymore. Yeah, I think not only was there not the appetite for this film, I think this film is just like the Amazing Spider-Man movies, where it was filmmaking by accountants. They didn't really have a story they wanted to tell. They just knew they had to tell a story. So, uh, screw it, we'll do Dark Phoenix. And it's like, uh, you... Oh, it's like, remember that storyline we tried to tell before, but we really botched? Why not try that again? Yeah, I mean, technically, we, we said, we retconned everything back to normal, so that didn't happen, so we get one more shot. I, just, I think that was really what went wrong with it. Now you can talk about the, the Fox-Disney merger and all that, but what really went wrong is, they didn't really have a story they wanted to tell. This was movie-making numbers, and it shows absolutely everywhere. No one's interested in being there, and honestly, neither am I. Yeah, I think you gotta you got to be able to sort of sit back and assess when it's time to let go of something. Uh, and I think, again, like... I said Days of Future Past was the perfect ending for this, but Logan also, there's so much finality to Logan. And Mm. for the better, like, this series in its entirety is tied to Hugh Jackman. So, to then, like, oh, we're going to keep on keeping on. You know, it's like, why? I just, I don't see a reason to. So, when we come back, right... This has been pretty negative, but it is what it is. We're going to rank the X-Men movies, best to worst. We're going to give you our personal favorite scenes from each of them. We're including Deadpool in this. Uh, Then we're going to do some highs and lows. And then our hopes and dreams for the MCU version of these characters. So we'll be right back. We're back on Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeTheFans.com. This is our big and sad X-Men Dark Phoenix blowout. It was not what we hoped it would be, but I think we kind of knew that going in, so honestly I wasn't that disappointed when it got delayed twice, and then I had read that the reviews had been embargoed till after release, and then they were actually let, you know, people were allowed to publish before release, and it just was a shitstorm of negativity. I, try, I stayed away from it. I didn't read any reviews, but I, I knew what I was going to do. Well, the nice thing is now we can stop talking about Dark Phoenix. Yep. And instead, let's, let's rank our X-Men movies. Okay. So sh- I'm happy to go lowest to highest, so let's, let's build. Okay. I think we can let's both build agree to a nice crescendo. bottom of the barrel is Dark yep. Phoenix. All right. So your number 12... Dark Phoenix. Uh, Dark. What was your favorite Dark scene is, is in the worst. Dark Phoenix? By far. I think you already might have mentioned. Uh, can I say the credits? <laughs> That's fair because uh, the, the the credits because it was over and I could leave. Ugh. So I uh, I have actually Apocalypse as worse than Dark Phoenix. I really didn't really like Apocalypse. I think Apocalypse had so much more potential to be better than it was and it failed mm. on all accounts and so actually that was my favorite scene was when apocalypse ended 
because I couldn't wait for that thing to be over. It was so bloated and overlong and just a big waste of time. So, 11. And my my second worst was X-Men Apocalypse. So, uh, we just flip-flopped on that one. We can yeah. we can both agree those movies are terrible. There's not a lot good there. All right, what's your what's your number 3? Up next, that's Dark Phoenix. Uh, I'd say the train fight is worth seeing. Uh, there's some cool yeah. elements to it. Magneto does some pretty cool stuff. Uh, he kicks a lot of ass on that train, and even bits and pieces of the astronaut uh, rescue are kind of neat. Because I did, I think there's some cool CGI with Nightcrawler. But uh, for me, the pinnacle was the Mercy killing Mystique out of the series. I had had enough of her <laughs> by that point. I quietly. Uh, and this- She's an Oscar winner. I know she can act. Yes, she, she is. She can do a great job yeah. if she gives a fuck. So, uh, Mystique dying was like, all right, thank God she's gone. And then the most unintentionally hilarious <laughs> moment in a com- in any comic book film in quite some time was Hank sitting at Professor Xavier's old desk because uh, Professor X had gone on to do something else. He was finding himself again. And he stares at this picture of Mystique in her X-Men uniform. And it's just, it's not supposed to be funny, but it really was. It was so stupid. That wig they have her in, man. Everything about this movie looks cheap. Yeah, it it had a lot of issues. And Ugh. certainly some of the makeup and costuming was, was one of them. All right, let's stop talking about the two we absolutely hate. What, yep. what was your third? X-Men Origins, Wolverine. Uh, I actually like this movie. Wolverine, so, yeah. Uh, I have two. Opening montage. The battle yeah. through the ages. Love that. I think it's really. I think it's really cool. And the Weapon X escape. I also had X-Men Origins, Wolverine as as the third worst, but uh, I, I actually really enjoyed Gambit. I thought Gambit's introduction and all the card throwing and stuff. Gambit was one of my favorite characters, and it was neat to see him realize. The movie itself was massively not good, but... I still like it. I'll watch it. I do have an unnatural if, well, love for Hugh Jackman, so... That, <laughs> He's that's my a fair favorite. point. Your, your love of Hugh is, is it knows messing no, with you there. It knows no bounds. Can I guess what your fourth least good one is? Yes. Last Stand? Uh, yep, Last Stand. Yep. So. What's your favorite part, though? I like the I like that they had the brief bit of the danger room. I thought that was I was like, oh, cool. Oh yeah. Uh, and we get the the view of the Sentinels. Yeah. And then you know the Sentinels we ended up getting didn't look really anything like what we thought they would. I mean they're fine in Days of Future Past, not the future ones. Those ones are stupid. But. Uh, the 70s ones are okay. So, yeah, the danger room. I thought that was a pretty neat little, hey, yeah, remember this? So, yeah. What about you? No, that, yeah, I agree. That was pretty cool. I My favorite part of that is the where Magneto tears up the Golden Gate Bridge. And I remember him slamming it down on Alcatraz. And when he does it, he's kind of framed by the struts of the bridge. I'm like, wow. Yeah. This is, I remember sitting in the theater thinking, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, there's some... But, I mean, Ian McKellen yeah. was awesome as Magneto, so 
Oh yeah. That was a that was a high point. All right, number eight. I think we're on, or no, we're on seven. Maybe I don't know. What did you have next? After Last Stand, yep. this might be a controversial choice. First X Men. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, it does. Which it has aged, for sure. It it kicked off the superhero, like that. Uh, you could make the argument. I guess Blade really did it. But this came out a full two years before Spider-Man. This was really the thing that kind of heralded the start of the superhero age of cinema in which we live. And I, I don't, you know, I don't want to sell it short for any of that. But if you go back and watch it again, it, it did not age as well as some of the other stuff. It has its limitations, and, for sure. It does. Yeah. And really, it it comes across kind of like it's it's afraid to be what it is, which is a comic book movie with superheroes. It's you know they wear the the black spandex, and that's where all this started. And I don't know how you'd make the yellow or the yellow spandex stuff work, but the black leather strikes me as like, oh, that was really popular in the Matrix. Let's just do that. Yeah, well, it'll be easier. You know, I would say that uh, in two thousand. The more traditional costumes is a riskier choice. Now, yeah. Marvel have no problem giving them comic uh, accurate costumes. Yeah, they you know, so they'll, I'm, they'll I'm, just do it. More than anything, that I'm excited to see that. What was your uh, what was your next choice for worst? So I go. I'll just do them back to back because it's Deadpool two and Deadpool. Now, really, I will say I like all these movies. Like. At this yeah. point in the list, I really do enjoy all these, but de- the Deadpool movies to me are not as rewatchable because I'm not 15, so the jokes <laughs> stop. It's a fair point. Stop sticking after a while. Like after you hear them a couple times, yeah. it's like okay. But Deadpool 2, X Force, everything about the X Force scene is masterful, including that, Brad that Pitt's truly is a brief great cameo. Uh, and Deadpool 1, I think ju- I think the high point of it is just the concept in general like that he was going to be this sort of fourth wall breaking everyone's in on the joke it was it hadn't been done and that's why they finally let him do it by deadpool 2 like you're used to it it almost feels like an austin powers sequel like hey let's replay the hits that's why i have that one ranked lower even though i think the bad guy's cooler or cable's cooler than handsome guy i was gonna say (laughs) I don't even remember the bad guy from Deadpool 1. He's handsome guy. Handsome doctor. Ajax? Yeah. Francis, the, the guy who played uh, Daenerys' love interest on Game of Thrones. Man, he got out good, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I forgot. He, well, they replaced him, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I see. They replaced him with, with somebody less, else who less also handsome guy, but still handsome. <laughs> Still ha- less handsome, but still handsome. Yeah. So what about you? What are your uh, next so two? I, my Deadpool hasn't even... I, I haven't even hit Deadpool yet, because after X-Men, I, I do Days of Future Past. I, I just didn't like that movie that much. I, I mean, it wasn't bad, but I, I whenever you introduce time travel, and I know, I, I know I saw Avengers Endgame, and I absolutely loved it, but they the way they explained their time travel, I felt a little bit better about it but man the time travel in days of future past i was like mm, eh, okay i guess 
to be frank, the time travel in both of those movies does not work in the slightest. It's broken yeah. in both. You just have to kind of ignore it. Time travel in general is it's a no quantum leap. Tell you that it's pretty broken. <laughs> I, I guess that is time travel, but it's also body. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. Anyway, but a highlight for that for that movie for me, I think, was um, just seeing characters like Blink um, and Bishop and all that. And I thought they all looked really cool. Yeah, they um, they brought in some but uh, more obscure. Not if you read the comics, but characters that you didn't think you were going to see in a movie certainly yeah which i mean diminishing returns right yeah that for a couple of the other ones where it was really great to see this character because i never thought i would but days of future past especially coming on the heels of first class i felt like should have been a better movie okay well that's that's a bold choice so six for me you know the numbers might be screwed here but six i go x-men so it's firmly in the middle of the pack i know it's yeah. limitations now but it still did something that really opened the door and i'm going to touch mm-hmm. on that more in a minute best scene for me saber wolverine fight atop statue of liberty uh see that the part where he like drags his claws and cuts off one of the statue of liberty is like that did crown well. thorns or whatever yeah oh boy that that, that is some brutal cgi not hold up well but i will say this <laughs> uh, i like that saber tooth i also like leave shriver saber tooth but there's something cool about seeing a saber tooth that looked more like you thought he should like a beast uh the full-on feral hairy yeah. and tyler Maine's a legitimately huge guy obviously that's michael myers from the rob zombie film <laughs> he was a pro wrestler by the way so he's a big freaking guy and hugh jackman's no slouch as you know he, yeah he's all like six two yeah he's a big guy which was the big like when he got casted that was the to-do like he's way too tall oh this is terrible like he's nothing like wolverine and well see what we got the best best uh guy to fill a role ever I'll, I'll give people yeah. Downey if they want to argue Downey and I'll give people Evans but Jackman's the man yeah Jackman is the man I give you that um, my next two though I did the same thing as you where I went Deadpool 2 Deadpool 1 Yeah. sort of building up where again I, I liked both movies um, for Deadpool 2 I absolutely loved the uh what is it like the the raid on the the truck that's carrying the kid that was really cool yeah the basically he's trying to break out uh the kid right he's yeah the, you know he realizes the error of his and cable is there yeah now there's a little bit of wonky cgi in there but you can see domino use her powers in ways that are really really interesting and i i really that, that part was really cool. And that builds on the whole shtick. She's like, well, I'm lucky. And he's like, that's not a power. And then, you know, yes, you it see is. it. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. the only one to survive. It doesn't this. sound very cinematic. Yeah. She's the only one to survive. And all this crazy shit happens around her. So, yeah. And, of course, then the juggernaut. Yeah. And for Deadpool, I, I like just the opening sequence where it does the, where it puts up, you know, God's perfect idiot and 
a CGI monster instead of actual credits. Yeah. Because it that was the the second where you're like, okay, look, this this is a joke. It's a parody, but we're gonna have a good time, and it's it's one of those types of parodies where you can tell that they actually really like the material because they know well enough to parody it parody it well. I think they had to have an incredible amount of fun writing and filming both of those movies. Yeah. You know, it just had to be... All right, I think we're in our top three now, right? I'm on number four. four. Top four. Yeah. So if I'm I'm on four, this is where I put Days of Future Pat. No, I still have five. So I just did... I'll do the next two. So I'll do five and four. Five for me was The Wolverine. And if you're going to see The Wolverine, watch the unrated version. Because when he goes to the sort of the ninja village... It's a it, it, the scene is just much better in the unrated version, and the samurai duel with uh, the girl's father is my favorite part of the movie. The Japanese actor I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's a legitimate badass and awesome with a sword, <clears throat> and they have like the samurai duel, and he loses technically, but he can't be killed. You know, he gets he gets the killing blow, and he's like, "What are you?" Yeah, it's fantastic, and then the ending kind of. Yeah. loses a little steam but you could say that for 85% of comic book movies where they get way too reliant on CGI tomfoolery and big over the top battles so I really like the Wolverine and then we fought a giant monster in the sky uh, so 4 for me was Days of Future Past I agree I, I do have issues with it I, I kind of grapple with them because hinging Mystique as being the mutant that he needs to get the DNA from inherently makes zero sense because you're not, she can. She's a replicant. She's she doesn't have those powers. Her DNA would just yeah, allow she's them a shape to shifter. shapeshift. It wouldn't allow them to have other people's powers. Like you can go. I mean, even in past X Men films, that's fully on display. When she becomes Wolverine, her claws are not adamantium, right? She has the claws, but they're not real. Yeah. So I that kind of annoys me, but. I can get over it because there's some really cool scenes such as the Quicksilver prison break which was our first scene with Quicksilver and it's the much better one than they did in Apocalypse which I mean they tried their best but it'd been done yeah exactly see my number four then was the Wolverine and part of that is because that's we'll talk about what stories we want to have if if they hadn't done Wolverine in Japan, that would always be my first choice of, I want to see the movie where Wolverine is in Japan. So for me, that, like, I, I just, that was the movie I wanted to see. Uh, did I, and my favorite part is the ninja fight scene, because that's so 1980s, it's so Frank Miller, it's so, that's part of who I understood Wolverine was, that, you know, it, it was just, I really liked it. Now, full disclosure, I lived in Japan, so it was nostalgia for me, too. So, Did you ever fight a guy still. on top of a bullet train? Not on top of a bullet train. In a bullet train, certainly, but not on okay. top. Okay, well, something to shoot for. Yeah, well, you don't want to just do everything. I need a reason to go back. Now we're on our top three. Top three. Here okay. we go. Number three. For me, X-Men First Class. This, I think, it's by far the best of the new trilogy. Uh, 
I love that it uses history in such an awesome way, weaving it into the narrative. It's one of my favorite uh, instant, uh, sort of events in American history because, I mean, you look back on that now, it's like, how close were we to annihilating each other? These two guys. Uh, so the Cuban know, Missile Crisis. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. So I love that they use that as a backdrop for the X-Men to introduce themselves to the world. Uh, and of course, Magneto, Nazi Hunter. I think that scene will stand the test of time forever. You'd be hard pressed yeah. to ever top that scene with, you know, in any future X Men movie for Magneto. That is the pinnacle. I still don't understand how that didn't turn into its own thing. I would have watched 90 minutes of Michael Fassbender just hunting down Nazis with magnetic powers. That would have been great. Like the five minute they scene that they give you in the bar is fantastic. I would like more of that, please. Yeah. Fassbender absolutely owns that movie, start to finish. Yeah, it's a it's a tour de force. It's very Charlie Cosmo esque. My number three though was X two. Okay. Like, I feel like X two. It isn't as tight as X Men First Class. And I don't, and I think a lot of the tertiary characters aren't as strong. Like, sure, in X2, you got Anna Paquin doing a good job. And it, you've got, um, what's his name, Alan Cumming as a great Nightcrawler. But they still gave... Much better than the new one. Yeah. They still gave Halle Berry the... Did she still have the accent in X2? Or they just, they mercifully just dropped it? No, I think she still had it. Uh, and it, I just... Between that and First Class, where the tertiary characters are like Bacon and Holt and Jennifer Lawrence when she gives a damn, <laughs> and like I just I, I thought the the other characters really brought their A game and brought up X uh, First Class just a little bit above X two. But I will say, much in the same way that Magneto Nazi Hunter is the only right answer for the best part of X Men First Class. The best part of X2 is unquestionably Wolverine finally getting to go berserker rage in the X-Mansion against the whoever the mutant hunters were that showed up in the school. Uh, well, Strikers, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was, that, was, that was perfect Wolverine. So I won't use that scene because my number two is obviously X2. X2. Well, I guess it's yep. not obvious. It could have been number one, but if you know No, me, it couldn't have. And you must know me by now. I will, I'm will. i going to use... I'm going to choose the Hugh Jackman-centric movie as number one. <laughs> to um, be fair, X2 is a pretty Jackman-centric film, but it's not 100% yeah. Jackman-centric, I guess. Yeah, there's other characters that kind of take away from his spotlight, and that's, a, that's annoying. Uh, yeah. So I'll go with opening attack, Nightcrawler on the White House. Also a fantastic scene. And at the time, it was like, I think, probably the best CGI we'd seen. I think. Oh, sure. Uh, I don't know how much of it was CGI other than him popping in and out of places. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. So I'd have to go back and see how well it holds up. Uh, because what was I watching the other day? And I was like, oh boy. Just movies from around that period that are not holding up particularly well. Uh, well, Godzilla mm. 98 was on. 
So that was four years before, five years before. Good lord. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's not good. It's unwatchable. I mean, it's unwatchable in a number of ways, not just because of the CGI. I mean, it's a big, stinking pile of crap. And it's a festering wound that ruined me. <laughs> Alright, but besides that, uh, CGI is terrible. So X2, number two for yeah. me. And number one. Are you on number one yeah. or are you on number it, two? It, it, yeah. Number one. It had to be. Couldn't be anything else. Logan. Yep. This is It's unforgiven, man. I mean, this is the end. Yeah. The culmination of 17 years of playing this character, uh, you know, it it really was. It was Jackman saying goodbye. It was Patrick Stewart saying goodbye. It, yeah. it really, it was a great, tight movie that was mean and nasty. Though I'll be honest, I, I saw Logan once, and I'm like, I don't need to watch that again. It makes me sad. It, uh, I've seen it twice, and it, it is. It doesn't get easier because... You know, just, as much as I love Hugh Jackman in the role of Wolverine, I think we can all agree that Patrick Stewart is uh, just as terrific as Professor X. Oh, and sure. To see him sort of in this state of, you know, he's losing his mind. You know, this guy that was so so. Uh, he was, he was like he was their dad, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, and if you it's watch Star really Trek hard. The Next Generation, yeah, he he was everybody's dad then. He he universally played characters that were the big good that, you know, no matter what, at least, you know, we've got that guy. And as long as we got that guy, every go, everything's going to be fine. And to see him just deteriorate and turn into this sad old man who can't remember and, you know... They don't directly state it, but is certainly implied to have killed a number of people, probably including children, <laughs> with his psychic backlashes. Yeah, it's hard. It's just hard to see him that way. You've taken this yeah. journey with this guy, and now you see him at his lowest point. This guy who was so steady and strong is feeble. Yeah. And his the the thing that made him so powerful is slipping away from him and that's it's just tough to watch that i think but that's also what makes the movie so great is because you're doing it anyways you're going on this ride you know it's the end at every turn it's it's brutal it reminds me a lot of the movie the road and the book the road also is just a very bleak and unhappy book and there's almost nothing to smile about in this entire movie. And then when they give you something to smile about, they rip it away from you. They rip <laughs> your heart out of your chest. Uh, yeah. But Jackman's never been better. The scene where he buries him, I, he should have been nominated for Best Actor. I'm still sorry he wasn't. He does some really good work in this movie. And it should have been recognized. He always gets the short end of the stick, though. He can dry his tears on those stacks of $100 bills he sleeps on. I'm sure he's fine. You ever seen Prisoners? That's Jackman at his peak. I have seen Prisoners. That is is a terrifying film. It is. So what was your favorite scene in Logan? Oh, that's a tough call because there's not a a fun scene in Logan even once. But I, I guess if I had to give it anything 
Oof. I'm I'm torn. It's either when Xavier has the psychic seizure and Logan has to like crawl through the casino to give him his medicine. Yes, to give him his medicine so he'll stop. Uh, when X23, who I don't think they call her X23, they just call her Laura, when Laura flips out and murders a bunch of people, uh, or when Logan gets in the fight with the limo, with the people who are trying to steal his limo. Right at the beginning. And we finally get a, yeah, and we finally get a R-rated what would happen if you got in a fight with what is basically good Freddy Krueger. All uh, excellent choices. I would go with him running through the woods on this last gasp where he's like, work drugs, and then he just takes off <laughs> in a sprint and starts murdering people. <laughs> he, he's got mutant speed going for him. Yeah, I love that scene. It yeah. is, and then it's like every one of us is like sprinted in our lives and we're like, oh, we're really doing great, and then he like he's out of gas. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> just couldn't hold on for 15 more seconds, could you? <laughs> All right, so that uh, was our uh, rankings. Uh, hit us up on our Twitter, at Hops and B.O. Flops, and let us know how you rank uh, the X-Men movies. Give us your favorite scenes. I'm sure some people will be similar. Some people will be much different. Some people really enjoyed Dark Phoenix. I wish I was drinking what you were drinking at the theater. Yeah. No, no one enjoyed Dark Phoenix. Everyone suffered. Uh, so when we come back, we're doing our highs and lows. So three highs, three lows. What can we take away from Fox's X-Men series of films? So we'll be right back. So we're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is uh, going to be our last segment for the Dark Phoenix extravaganza. And it occurs to me we forgot to mention what we were drinking for this episode. Which is two. not enough. Yeah, not not enough. So, I think it's safe to say we'd both recommend six beers, the highest total. Uh, we'd yeah. even allow you to cheat the system and go for eight to twelve, to twenty-four. The correct answer is how many, however many beers it takes you personally to black out. That's the number of beers you need for Dark Phoenix. If you have to wake up in an alley when it's raining, like. Like Gene Gray does in this movie, and so you can forget that you sat in a theater for two hours watching this. Do what it takes, man. <laughs> that's the yeah, that's the optimum number of beers. Yeah, so hobo it's, uh, drunk. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> so we're doing. We paired it with the two brothers uh, in the dark sour ale. So sour is fitting because we both had a sour taste in our mouths after this movie. So we move on. Highs and lows from the series as a whole. There's a lot of highs. I think there's a few lows, but not as many highs. I think overall, I would say in the shared, you know, the continuity, the shared universes, the series of films that are carrying on from movie to movie, this is obviously in second place behind the MCU. A distant second, but second nonetheless. And DC is getting sort of yeah. its act together but it's not there quite yet so I would say this is ahead of that so highs I'll do my three highs then you can do your three highs then I'll do my three lows and then we'll uh, each recommend one storyline we'd like to see so for me highs All right. uh, X-Men the original now obviously it wasn't at the top of my list but it's a high because it ushered in this 
sort of modern era of comic book movies. And I think it proved that these properties mm-hmm. were viable for film. I mean, I know it had been done and you had Batman before, but by this point in time, Batman was dead, right? Superman was dead. They were going to come back in a couple of years, but this was sort of like, hey, we can make these work. These can be a big success and they can also be good. Uh, and I think that was a monumental task. So, yes, things came after this. But this was a big step into getting people to believe again. And it was doing so with a property that hadn't been done before. So, I commend it for that. High number two, Charles and Eric. I think across multiple films and multiple actors, their relationship being as nuanced and meaningful uh, as it was. And I think it's one of the more powerful relationships across all these universes that we've gotten. I think, obviously, Cap and Tony, really nice job with that. Uh, The Mm -hmm. highs and lows of their relationship. But everything between Charles and Eric, I think, was so strong. And it was different, depending on the series, whether it was the original series with uh, Stuart and McKellen, or the new series where you see their relationship splinter and pull apart. I really, I really enjoyed all of that. Uh, so, you know, I'm still excited to see what maybe that will, the future will hold for that in the MCU. Lastly, and I think you all know what's coming, it's Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine. He's <laughs> the my, highest high, the yeah, Jackman. The highest of highs, my favorite actor to portray a comic book character ever. I think Christopher Reeves obviously is a clear answer as well, but. The, the length of time he portrayed this character puts him ahead of ahead of Reeves for me. And also, you have to remember, Chris Reeves only really had two good movies. Oh, <laughs> um, Which were shot as one movie, technically. And I think that's why they work. Uh, because the guy who took over for Richard Donner, Richard Lester, you saw what he kind of got to do when the shackles were taken off his creative creative mind and it was people skiing on rooftops in metropolis and robot fights god it was not good was not good cooking the books whatever so as i mentioned downey and evans i think should also be commended hemsworth too i think has been awesome in store and as of many people in the wolverines but jackman is wolverine i don't think anybody cared as much about the role as he cared about Wolverine to the point like and I've talked about it before like the Wolverine video game which if you've never played go go play it it's awesome it's one of the better uh, movie tie-in games because obviously Origins is not that great but that game is friggin awesome and it's as hard our Wolverine as you're gonna get it's, it's a badass game have you ever played that that Wolverine I don't game. think I did. Oh, you should check that out. He did all the voice work for that. You just watching him in the studio, he just cared so much. It's the complete opposite of, say, Jennifer Lawrence and Mystique, where she's like, get me out of here. Like <laughs> Every single scene, no matter how large or how small he was in as the Wolverine, he gave it 110%, and I'll never forget that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right, so your so, highs. My- my highs for this series are first class. So I had to do some different stuff because otherwise I, I'd pick the same things. But first class effectively using a, a 
time period that was not World War II <laughs> in a comic book film. I feel like you've seen a lot of period pieces, but between Captain America, The Rocketeer, even Wonder Woman to a certain extent, and, and this was I, probably, what, five years before Wonder Woman, it used the setting and told a story that was that was tied to the time period in a way that was really interesting and was still a superhero movie. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. And honestly, I think that's why they tried to do that every 10 years we're going we're gonna to go through time. The only problem is after Days of Future Past, they were out of ideas for why, that, why those times mattered. For how to frustrating. Really tie it in and make it relevant. Exactly. And have it connect to the story in a meaningful way. Exactly. Uh, second high is going to be Deadpool. It's uh, We finally agree that we can have a, an R-rated... It's a silly... You know, the people who would like Deadpool the best are the kids who are two to three years too young to see an R movie in the theaters. But you know, I really enjoy Deadpool. And I don't know that it's a, it's a Jackman or uh, Evans or even... Robert Downey Jr. level of, you know, a person inhabiting the character. But, man, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool is pretty spot on. Of all the the X-Men movies to continue on, they are going to keep Deadpool. So I'm excited to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I think one of the, the cool things about Deadpool, or one of the ingenious things, rather, is how they incorporated like how they did the marketing for that movie and all like the goofy posters and the social posts. Oh yeah. And I'm sure a lot of that came from his mind as well, because you know, he did a lot of things outside the movie to keep promoting the character in the movie. And that, it, that just, it just shows you how, I mean, he fought for the thing to get made for years. So, and that they yeah. leaked that trailer, which eventually became part of the movie. So, Yeah. And my final high is is got to be Logan. Um, maybe less so that Logan has to be a, you know, is Jackman. It is, but Logan was, I think, one of the the more recent examples of what you can do with superheroes when it's really high art, right? Like I, I love all the Avengers movies. Um, to an absurd degree and I will watch them almost any time and I've only ever seen Logan once but that's because once was all I needed to see it it was it was just that, that good so being able to take what is an inherently silly genre and take it seriously and tell a a real story and to put an end on you know 17 years of this character i thought was pretty amazing and uh it did open doors i think for these movies again to be taken even more to the next level of hey these can be art they do have something meaningful to say because it was nominated for best adapted screenplay at the oscars and of course oh, sure. now black panther has won a couple of oscars and, you know suicide squad won makeup and that's a different beast not to diminish the art of creating those things, but uh, adapted screenplay is a big deal because it, that's a respect to the writing and how well that story was yeah. crafted. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. I, I know there's a push for Endgame to get nominated. I wouldn't agree with that, but 
we'll see. Neither here nor there, sir. Yeah. All right, so All right, we're doing lows. Yep. My first oh. low is a continuity. For a series of films that were all tied together in some tangential way, I think there was just Fox just made an utter mess of the timeline. And at times it was kind of annoying. Like if you screw up the timeline so much that you're just totally retconning and erasing things from film to film, and then you're like, hey, let's do a time travel movie, and then we'll just erase it all. I think that's sort of a problem, and that speaks to a lack of clear vision. And that's one thing I'll never <clears throat> take away from Marvel is that, sure, there's little hiccups here and there where you're like, oh, but wait, but it's never to this absurd degree. Get you a Feige, man. Yeah. Need you a I think, Kevin Feige. I think going forward, obviously they'll have Feige, but, and I know the DC films plan on being less directly related, but you'll never replicate the ridiculous success of Marvel without having that person there to yeah. steal the ship. You won't. Yeah. Because he's the, he's the Harry Truman, the buck stops here, no, you can't do that, and here's why. And I'm sure he probably gives them an, an absolutely valid reason why they cannot. Because everything has to work together. It's like the old... If one guy isn't rowing the right direction, the whole ship is off course. Yeah, he just gets it, man. So continuity. I mean, you couldn't even if you told somebody to watch all these, you'd just have to be like, "Hey, listen, just ignore. Don't expect these all to connect and make sense because at certain points they're just <laughs> going to jump off the reservation." Uh, Lowe's, as we've discussed, uh, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. They're the lows because I think with Future future Past and First Class, you had these two great films, and you just had to finish the story you wanted to tell. And I, the drop in quality was so apparent and obvious that yeah. I think it's the biggest fumbling of a series of films in the comic book sort of sphere that we've had since Superman 3 and 4. Maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but I don't think it is because Superman one and two are really good films, and three and four just get like markedly worse, and kind of throw away all the goodwill that was built up by the other two. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, my lows for this continuity was a good choice. I I, I would do that, but it, doing something different. Uh, my my third lowest low. I'm going to say just Olivia Munn standing in her full Psylocke costume outside of actual Auschwitz. I'm like, oh, the guys, I, I know we're trying to do it and make it real, but all oh, this seems silly, especially considering actual people really died there. I don't, I don't I, know. I agree. I think I erased that from my memory. Thank you for ushering that back in. Oof. Yeah, uh, it's still low, low from the same movie. Uh, fucking Ivan Ooze as Apocalypse. Uh, like, everybody loves Oscar Isaac, and everybody universally hated that makeup. Like, I, you know, I feel bad, because, uh, honestly, you do. He, I thought that was a fairly solid representation of Apocalypse. It's just, it also looked like Ivan Ooze from Power Rangers, and I'm like, oh, guys, yeah. that's not good. Um but the lowest low for me, oof, yeah, well, not good. <laughs> but the lowest low for me in all of this 
is uh, it's kind of similar to what you said. Um, not necessarily the films themselves, just the perfunctory filmmaking that was X-Men Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, where you know Fox is like, well, we got to crank out an X-Men movie so we can hang on to these rights. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We don't know what story we want to tell. We just got to tell something. And that's it's it's all over those movies. Yep. Oh, and I, I had one more low. Now, you're, you may not agree with this. Oh, this is my oh, third sorry. low. The merger. Now, hear me out. I am very happy eh. that certain characters are coming home. Fantastic Four, I think it's time to give them a movie that uh, lives up to... Doesn't suck. Yeah, you know, those characters. I just think the creative cost of Disney buying Fox, we can't even really calculate that yet, but we know uh, in terms of... There's something to be said for having an assorted amount of flavors, right? And things that feel different. Yeah. And that's going to be gone. Like, if you just look at New Mutants as an example, right? I don't think that movie looks very good. But I still think it deserves to be seen. And I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to wind up lost in this transaction. Because what benefit does it have to, to Disney to release that? Especially if it's as big a turkey as Dark Phoenix, right? It's just putting a... A stain on those on that property but yeah you know you think about creative costs right i like the marvel movies they they all feel very similar not a lot of them feel all that unique some do but a lot of them just don't and that's you know after a while that's gonna feel a little stale for people and mm. do we really want x-men to just feel like a different version of the Avengers. Hey, it's the team up, and this guy's the wisecracker, and this guy's this guy. And I don't know. Like, I liked having them somewhere else. Now, Marvel will knock it out of the park, and I know that. But you know, you think about the jobs, um, not the jobs where the fat gats get paid idiotic sums of money and offer their idiotic notes, but the people that worked behind the scenes and worked in this, you know, like hundreds of jobs are going to be lost because of this and that sucks yeah i mean i'm not going to argue that having one less major studio is is overall good for the art of film um i'm curious to see what what marvel or i'm so sorry what disney winds up doing with the x-men characters but i remain cautiously optimistic yeah i just think like, you know fox searchlight they've been doing great movies for the past few years and I don't want I don't want those smaller movies to be lost in this is Disney going to have a wing that sort of carries that stuff on these smaller indie films I hope so but I just don't know yeah you know, like we'll outside see. of comics what are we losing who knows uh, well on that depressing note that's our highs and lows now Let's go back up. Something more positive. What do we want to see Marvel do with the X-Men? If you had one storyline that you'd like to see, what would it be? Mojo World. Okay. If you're not familiar with the comics, Mojo World is a world that is completely controlled by TV. Uh, it is run by a guy named Mojo. He big, kidnaps big the X-Men. Two, <laughs> big fat guy. He, walk, he walks around on like a spider-like 
stilt thingy with a big scorpion tail. Uh, he kidnaps the X-Men because it improves ratings and puts them through various trials. Uh, I should very much like to see that. I feel like there's probably room for doing a version of Mojo World that is related to social media and things like number of likes or upvotes or clicks that you get. I, I feel like that could be relevant. And uh, also just be really fun to see them do Mojo. I don't know. Very Black Mirror. I think that works in a number of ways, depending on how you do it. Uh, that's a good recommendation. I like that. I was thinking uh, House of M. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is essentially where uh, Scarlet Witch uh, is out of control and creates an entirely new universe of her own design, and everyone is under her spell. And it incorporates Spider-Man and Wolverine, uh, so the X-Men and other, and then peop- and the Avengers and brings all these worlds together and since they have all these characters why not you'd have to build to it obviously but I think they could and I think it'd be really awesome if they did Uh, you just don't know who's going to be around in these later phases because I think Scarlet Witch is essentially being phased out she'll be on the TV show Like I don't know if she'll be in the movies anymore but I think that'd be a really cool one and like yeah that'd be neat just an example like Peter Parker uh, in his reality, he Gwen Stacy's alive and he's happily married, and so like he's almost in a better existence. But when he realizes it's all fake, like it's a cruel joke, right? They understand they have to put an end to it. Like yeah. Wolverine's in the Avengers, and, and he's just a total badass, and it's it's awesome. It's a cool book. Yeah, the deal. The deal was Scarlet Witch used her powers to give everybody their heart's desire, except the problem is Wolverine's heart's desire is to remember his all of his past and when he gets that he also remembers that wait a minute none of this is real (laughs) yeah so that's a cool uh that's a good book i'd recommend that if you haven't read it and mojo world as well uh my other Uh, small thing please don't recast wolverine for a while i think the biggest thing that marvel could do as a service to the x-men is get the team thing to work first and foremost because yeah. it never really worked in the original trilogy and it sort of worked in first class but then Days of Future Past became the Wolverine show again and then yeah. Apocalypse like it didn't work at all it was a mess and they tried to like start anew and just start without him get the team yeah. first get nail that dynamic and then if you want to bring him in bring him in I say do the original 5 I'd be really fine with that. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Beast, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Angel. So that is our uh, Dark Phoenix Super Pod. Uh, if you've got uh, comments, hit us up at Hops and Bo Flops, or hit myself up at Writer TLK or Captain Cash at C A P T C A S H. I think next week we actually have a recommendation. We're going to do Starship Troopers. I can love that movie. So that should be fun. Uh, uh, it'll, it'll be nice to get back to, to talking about movies that I really enjoy. Yeah, so I think that'll be fun if you're a kid who grew up in the 90s. Like, every, you know, kids love that movie. It was. Now let's see how the CGI holds up in that one because it's been a while since I've seen it. And I do think there's actually a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes stuff about that as well. And I have a proposition for you. Because this has been sort of a season of box office flops. 
I kind of want to keep doing movies that are recently in theaters or still in theaters, and I have a couple for you. I want to do okay. Hellboy. Oh, I'm not sure where I'd see Hellboy anytime in the next. Well, I think it's out I, now, or it's coming out relatively what, soon. Like on digital? Yeah, already. Oh, shit. When I was, uh, I was recently on a vacation, and it was available on the hotel. Uh, pay-per-view and I was like really? this came out two months ago so I think it's coming out soon and oh, poor Dave Harbour should we do Men in Black uh, I, can we just do Godzilla I feel like I'd like Godzilla I feel that like was Men my that was my other one because technically it's a flop uh, it's not doing well here Godzilla it's barely going to cross 100 million domestically so I think we can do it I I would do Godzilla before I would do the other two. Okay. Because I actually want to see that movie. <laughs> so what we'll do is Starship Troopers next week. We'll do Godzilla following that. And then I think Hellboy will be available. And we'll do Hellboy. So, oh, man. The things I do for this pod. Some things to look forward to. Uh, it was a blast. We'll see you next time on Hops and Box Office Flops. <laughs>